So I'm here with Emily Mayle and Amy Hatfield. They are students from Monash University and they have an interest in law reform and also Emily volunteers with the Fitzroy Legal Service. So you're doing some really interesting research looking in particular at life post hep C cure. So um, we've been interning here at Hepatitis Victoria uh, for a few months now and we've been looking at ways to reduce the legal barriers for someone who's been cured of hepatitis C, particularly in the light of the increased number of people who have been cured of hepatitis C after the introduction of direct acting antiviral treatment. Many of your listeners might be aware that we've now reached over 60,000 people cured of hepatitis C um, since the introduction of this therapy. And we have cure rates of over 95%. And what we found from our research is that the risk of late relapse once someone has completed this treatment is really rare. Further, the virus doesn't seem to hide in the body anywhere and reappear at a later date. So once someone has completed treatment, they can then be considered cured. And from our research, we have identified several barriers facing people even once they have been cured. And what we've looked at in a bit more detail has been blood donations and their restrictions on healthcare workers who are performing exposure-prone procedures. So, Emily, why did you start this type of work? Was there a perceived need or did you actually hear from people that have been cured that actually are experiencing discrimination, is that what it was? Yeah, so once we started our internship here, um, we were given information from some of the staff that they'd received some inquiries on the info line, people wanting to know a bit more about what their rights were once they'd been cured of hep C, and also some specific examples of people inquiring as to why they couldn't donate blood. Um, And also we had one caller talk about the fact that she couldn't donate blood because her partner had been cured of hep C. So there's also a restriction on people who have um, sexual intercourse with people who have been cured of hep C. It was quite a broad range of people that were interested in this topic. And we realised that blood donation is just kind of one aspect of the social and personal acceptance um, of a person in society. But we identified that these types of policies, um, once people are cured of hepatitis C, can label them as risky and they continue stigmatisation of that person in society even once they've been cured. I guess I'll just quickly outline what the current policy is so it's um, clear. So the Australian Red Cross Blood Service has guidelines about who can donate blood um, and one of their guidelines states that if you have ever, have ever had hepatitis C you're permanently ineligible from donating blood um, and so this also includes people who have completed successful treatment. Um, and someone's also unable to donate blood 12 months since the last occurrence of sexual activity with someone who has hepatitis C. And I guess you can contrast these policies to the policy for donating blood for hepatitis B. People who have had hepatitis B have to wait 12 months after they've made full recovery before they can donate blood. And I guess why these policies are the way they are. So generally the Australian Red Cross takes a very precautionary sort of zero risk approach. Um, And this sort of is a result of the contaminated blood scandal that occurred in in the late 1970s and early 1980s. And during that period, people who had haemophilia, some were given blood that was donated from people who were infected with HIV or hepatitis C. So that sort of resulted in a general sort of, I guess, public distrust in some ways towards the blood service. Um, And in terms of of the legal side of things, um, so currently there's no right to donate blood in Australia. But there have been some cases which have gone before the courts have challenged these guidelines um, in terms of eligibility criteria under discrimination law. 
One of them was Kane, an Australian Red Cross Society, and Norman, an Australian Red Cross Society. So in those cases, the criteria, which deferred men who have sex with men from donating blood for 12 months since their um, last occurrence of sexual activity, they were challenged as discriminatory. Um, in both those cases, discrimination wasn't made out, but usefully in the Kane case, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal held that the policy did not amount to discrimination um, and the Australian Red Cross was bound to adopt um, a precautionary kind of approach ensured that the risk of unbla- unsafe blood was as low as possible. So they said that it didn't amount to discrimination. Yeah, so they said it wasn't discrimination. But usefully in those cases, so for future advocacy, they did find that um, in the case of Norman, that they looked at the Victorian Equal and Oppo- Equal Opportunity um, Act and they found that that act did apply and that this sort of would fall under the discrimination kind of law context. So in future advocacy, there could be space um, for work to be done there. So what's the difference between hepatitis B and C mm. in the law then? Why, why is hepatitis B seemingly treated differently? Part of it, I think, is uh, there's a couple of different reasons. Um, part of it is, I guess, some of the stigma that does attach to um, hepatitis C as opposed to the stigma that attaches to hepatitis B. So hepatitis C, as I'm sure um, a lot of people are aware, is um, associated with injecting drug use. I think there's a lot of stigma relating to that, but there's also um, a biological sort of basis as well in terms of um, how the two different viruses act in the body as to um, why the hepatitis B policy is a 12 months after making a full recovery, whereas um, hepatitis C, um, the current policy, is that you can't donate at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think also on that point that um, I think one of the reasons that that distinction remains is that the treatment for hepatitis C is relatively new Mm. um, in terms of the fact that it was only released on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme in 2016. Whilst there was a treatment before this, um, it wasn't as effective and not as many people were taking it up. One of the things we looked at is that perhaps the policy just hasn't caught up with the advancements in treatment that we've seen. Um, And that's why we've been looking at um, hopefully making a review of this current policy in the light of the new treatment. Why do you think this issue is an important one to study? It's only really recently there's been such a large population of people who have um, had hepatitis C and are now cured. And I guess the rights of those people haven't really been looked at before about um, in sort of what legal barriers prevent them from fully participating in society. So even though blood donation is, I guess, just one small aspect of that, um, for a lot of people, um, being able to donate blood is a really important um, part of their life and being able to give back to society. Um, And it's also important, I guess, that everyone can be treated equally and have the right to be able to participate as well. And what do you think the next steps are for this research or for the law, I suppose? Well, we saw recently that the Australian Red Cross has updated um, some of their eligibility criteria. And specifically um, in September this year, 2018, um, they have changed their policy on injecting drug users. So previously, um, anyone who had ever injected drugs was permanently ineligible to donate blood. But this policy has now been updated so that Um, There's a five-year deferral period from last injection occurrence. And this is a great step forward in the right direction for addressing the issue of stigma um, and not classifying people as inherently risky going forward. So we have seen that there has been some movement in the Australian Red Cross updating their policies. And before this policy was updated, there was a um, 
expert committee commissioned to have a look at this area um, and they did recommend to reduce the deferral period to five years. So what we would like to look at going forward in the future um, is for a similar type of review to be undertaken in hepatitis C and blood donation policy um, with the aim of reducing the current deferral period from permanent ineligibility um, to maybe something similar of a five or twelve month deferral period. How do you think you're going to get to that point? Is it through advocacy, um, more research? From speaking to a number of professionals in this area, what they think is essential is to actually collate the medical research that um, exists in this area. Um, whilst our research indicates that late relapse of the virus is quite rare, so the reoccurrence of it is quite rare, um, because it's so new, there hasn't been any longitudinal studies that have really been undertaken in this field. And it's been indicated to us that for any reform to be made, um, there needs to be a significant bulk of medical evidence um, proving the effectiveness of this treatment that we could then take to the Australian Red Cross to advocate for a change in this policy. Yeah, but we're hoping that um, since there has been sort of significant advocacy in the areas um, so you just spoke about in terms of injecting drug use and as well as um, reducing the deferral period for men who have sex with men in relation to HIV, we hope that um, a lot of the work that's been done in those areas we can sort of latch onto that as well and use that to um, create change in this area as well. So you've been volunteering and doing this work here at Hepatitis Victoria for the last few months. Did anything that surprised you about the work that you've done here or that you've discovered? I think it's been good to be able to speak to um, a number of professionals in this area. Um, they've all kind of indicated to us that the work we're doing they think is quite beneficial. Um, and it seems to be a general recognition in the field that since this treatment has existed that these policies do need to be updated. So I think we've been surprised with the mm. amount of support um, for yeah. this issue that we've encountered. I think initially we thought um, perhaps this was um, a niche or a smaller issue that people mm. would not be so interested in, but the response has been um, really positive. And I think we've realised how important it is to draw on lots of different areas in terms of um, that medical research and clinical work as well to um, being able to create change and advocate for change as well in a legal sense. That medical research is really important to underpinning um, the evidence we can use. Yeah. Just one final thing, have you looked at any other jurisdictions overseas to see what, how they handle this situation with um, hepatitis C? We have um, looked at a few different international jurisdictions, um, so we've looked at places like England and Canada and um, some of the other Commonwealth US, countries. Yeah. Um, it appears at this point in time that their policy reflects our own and that there is a permanent mm. deferral for anyone who's had hepatitis C. Um, we did ring up New Zealand um, and talk to some of their um, blood collection nurses over there um, and they did inform us that at this current time they have a permanent deferral mm. for anyone who's had hepatitis C. Um, but it was good to kind of look and compare to different jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, but it, I think that makes our work even more important because mm. there hasn't been any um, movement in this area. Yeah, and Australia is sort of in a uniquely placed position as well because um, a lot of other countries don't allow um, sort of as great as access to the direct acting antiviral treatment and don't have such a large population of people who have been cured of hepatitis C. So I guess Australia is really on the forefront of this issue. Um, in terms of advocating for change in this area. There's a significant body of research growing in the medical area on the benefits of this treatment yep. going forward, but um, none in terms of law reform advocacy. Yeah.
I've been speaking to Emily Mayle and Amy Hatfield, who are doing some fantastic research here at Hepatitis Victoria. So thank you very much for coming in today and talking to me. And if you'd like to find out more about what we're doing at Hepatitis Victoria, just go to our website. That's hepvic.org.au, where you can find lots of podcasts and other information. Thank you very much.